Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our evening service. Good to see you all. Um, as you know, it's been a sad week with the news of the passing of the Queen. But we are grateful to the Lord for his gift to us of the Queen for her faithful service over so many years and the faith in Christ that she modelled to us. And we are pleased for her that she's gone home to be with the Lord. Well, this evening is a prayer and praise service, and we're focusing on the power of God to save. Um, I wonder if there are people you know, either personally or public figures, uh, who you think are almost beyond saving. Of course, you wouldn't admit to that. Um, You know, we know that God can save anyone. But maybe deep down, if you're honest, surely there's no way that he could save so-and-so. Or maybe you've been praying for a loved one for many years, and you've got to the point... um, which just seems like nothing is going to happen. You're still praying, but you've lost confidence that God will answer your prayers as you, as you would like. But I hope this evening you'll be reminded of God's power and his grace, and that he will fill you afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit to persevere in prayer and to be faithful in your witness for him. In the letter to the Romans, the Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your sovereign power, that you created this world, you sustain it, you rule over it, and that nothing can happen without you allowing it to And we praise you for your saving power, your power of redemption, your power to open blind eyes and turn stubborn hearts to you. We thank you for the way you've changed our lives. And pray this evening that you would fill us with a a renewed confidence in the power of the gospel, that you would fill us with your spirit, so that we would have the boldness to proclaim the gospel to a lost world that needs to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. The reading is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19, and in the Church Bibles that's found on page 1102. So Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Meanwhile... Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind 
and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Let's pray. Lord God, as you opened Saul's eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray you would open our eyes now to see you in all your glory, that you would compel us to follow you obediently. In Jesus' name. Amen. But we asked the question earlier on whether there are people you think um, who God is either not able to save or would not want to save. And our passage this evening looks at someone who falls into to both categories. He's not just someone who's rejected Jesus as the Son of God and the, the gift of salvation he offers. He's actually murdering his people. And yet, God chooses to save him. It's an extraordinary event. It's a, a unique historical event, not just because of the dramatic light that, that shone, the, the words that were heard, the transformation that took place in, in Saul himself, but because Jesus appeared in person to Saul. He commissioned him to become the one who would take the gospel to the Gentiles. And the temptation is therefore to dismiss it as something was not really relevant to us today. But there are aspects of this story and the way that God demonstrated his power to save that are very applicable to us today. So what does it teach us about the way in which God demonstrates his power to save? First of all, God enables us to see that Jesus is indeed Lord. Saul was spiritually blind. He was an enemy of Jesus. At the beginning of chapter 8, after the crowd stoned Stephen, we are told that Saul approved of their killing him. We read on, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. And we're told in verse 3, Saul began 
to destroy the church. And at the beginning of our passage in chapter 9, we find again that Saul, it says, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He's now pursuing Jesus' followers as far as Damascus to round them up and take them back to Jerusalem. Saul is not someone who appears to be open to Christianity. He's not someone who's thinking about the claims of Jesus. He's someone who's full of hatred towards Jesus and his followers. But on the road to Damascus, Jesus reveals himself to him in person. He opens his eyes so he can see. When the light from heaven flashed around Saul, we're told, he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? How does Saul respond? Well, he doesn't try and explain away this voice. He, he doesn't pretend that it hasn't happened. He knows it's real. He knows it must belong to a, a divine being. But he doesn't know who this Lord is. And so he asks in verse 5, Who are you, Lord? And the reply comes back, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And it's as he hears Jesus speaking that Saul must have understood the enormity of what he, must, what he was doing. Um, he hadn't just been trying to destroy some weird sect. He'd been trying to destroy God himself. And this Jesus, who he assumed was, was dead, really was alive. And so his claims must be true. Now, the danger of focusing on the dramatic circumstances of Saul's conversion is that we might overlook everything that would have led up to that point in his life. When Saul tells the story of his conversion in later in chapter 26 of, of Acts, he tells how he, he heard the voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Just as we, we read here in Luke's account. But he then adds these words that he also heard from Jesus. Jesus said to him, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. A goad is a, is a pointed stick used to get animals to do what you, you want them to do. When they, when they kick against them, they hurt themselves. So what were those goads that Paul was kicking against? Well, we may have heard and met Jesus in person when he was alive. Maybe he's trying desperately to get that image, those words, out of his, his mind And as he kicked against it, it hurt him. Maybe he'd heard all the stories about Jesus uh, that had been circulating, what we'd done, what he'd said, the fact that his followers claimed he'd come back to life. Maybe it was the witness of the followers of Jesus after his death, those he'd been persecuting, that the hope that he saw in them in the face of death. Maybe it was the testimony of Stephen, which he would have heard. He was right standing there. How Stephen said, look, I see heaven open, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. How Stephen fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Maybe Saul had some inner turmoil going on, that he was trusting in his religious observance, but he knew deep down it just wasn't enough. And so the conversion on the road to Damascus was the climax of a a longer drawn-out process in which God had been pursuing him. When you think of your own conversion, I wonder how God maybe goaded you 
we think of the people we have tried to talk to about Jesus, it can be quite discouraging, can't it, when they, they just don't want to know, or maybe they're just quite rude. But don't give up, because it may be through your witness, the Lord is goading them. Maybe he's preparing them for that day when he finally opens their eyes to see him in his glory. They may be closer to the Lord than you think. God enables us to see that Jesus is Lord. And secondly, God enables us to follow Jesus as Lord. If we see that Jesus is Lord, then we can't really do anything other than follow him as Lord. So when a horse always hears the instructions from Jesus to, to get up, go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do, he does exactly that. Because he's had a personal encounter with Jesus, and uh, he now knows who, who he is. And that means a complete change of life. Because if we weren't following Jesus as Lord, then we, we must have been worshipping something or someone else. And for God to enable us to follow Jesus as Lord, he has first to help us see how meaningless whatever else we were following must have been. And for Saul, it was probably his, his power, his status. Probably took delight in ordering people around, imprisoning Christians. And so God had to humble him. Which is why he temporarily blinded him so that he would have been, had to have been led into Damascus by hand. That once powerful leader, now dependent on others grappling around in the dark. And what does he do when he arrives in Damascus? He prays. They're told he prays. What a transformation. I wonder what he would have prayed about. Probably, um, for God to forgive him for all those things he'd done, the persecution of Jesus and his followers. Maybe he would have praised God for the mercy he'd shown towards him. Maybe he would have prayed for the power to lead a a godly life. The wisdom to know what to do next. The courage to follow Jesus no matter what. God enables us to follow Jesus as Lord. And finally, God enables us. Again, he empowers us to join his church. Not surprising, there was a scepticism and fear of Saul from the other followers of Jesus. But in obedience to the Lord, Ananias goes to the house where Saul is staying, places his hands on him. He prays for healing from his blindness. He prays for a filling of the Holy Spirit for the, the huge task that God was giving him to do. And immediately we're told Saul regains his eyesight, he gets up, and is baptized, which represents that dying to that old way of life, that rising again to new life in Christ. And it represents becoming one now, one of Jesus' followers, becoming a member of his church. Saul then spends several days with his new brothers in Christ before beginning his ministry as he goes to the Jews and preaches that Jesus is the Son of God. And it wasn't long before they wanted to kill him. The result of his conversion, his spirit-empowered ministry, at the end of that chapter in verse 31, is then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and were strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Because of his power to save, God is growing his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this wonderful account of the conversion of Saul, in which we've seen your your power at work. It is amazing to see how somebody was so anti you. Somebody was persecuting you, brought down to his knees. He came to see Jesus really was Lord, came to follow him and became part of his church. Lord, help us to trust in that power of yours to say that we might see it many times uh, through the people we reach out to, to share the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, unaccustomed as I am to public speaking, um, I'll let you a little to my testimony, which goes back to around about 1986-87, when Jane and I were living in Southfields, near Wimbledon in London. Um, I would encourage um, anybody who has ever done door-to-door work to keep on doing it because that's how I came to faith by two chaps one winter evening knocking on the door I'd um, been late home from work Jane was even later so I'd rustled up something to eat just sat down bang on the door I thought well who is this at this time of night kind of thing and it was these two chaps who were from Southfields Baptist Church and were out welcoming folk to come along to a service at the uh, at the church and um, to my shame I was so rude to these two chaps and said to well I just said to them oh, I'm not interested don't disturb me and slammed the door and um, sat down didn't think any more of it but um, every day I went past Southfields Baptist Church twice a day to the tube and um, God, um, well, we've all got consciences, but my conscience, but by really, dear, dear me, He played on my conscience for weeks, to be quite honest. And uh, the train used to go right by the church, and um, there was a there was a sign up, and you could quite see it from the pavement and the and the, and the railway line. Jesus is Lord, and um, that was uh, I saw that twice a day going in, coming back kind of thing, you know. And it was lit up as well, even though it was in wintertime. <laughs> and uh, eventually, after a few weeks of that being, uh, God really convicted me to, to go go and seek these chaps out, primarily really for me to apologise to them and say, you know, I'm sorry. But um, it was a fairly charismatic church, and uh, which I wasn't used to at all, because I was grow, grew up in a Catholic church, uh, background and um, but the preaching of the word was wonderful I wasn't too keen on all the airy fairy running around and waving arms and jumping up and down and so forth, bit of dancing as well but there we are, the the Lord really um, really opened my eyes, opened my heart and uh, convicted me of my sin and my wrongdoing and after a couple of years at the church uh, I was baptised and uh, I've not looked back since. So as anybody is doing door-to-door work, 
keep at it and don't worry if somebody slams the door in your face <laughs> thank you that was what isn't that lovely encouraging to hear that but yeah I think that deserves a clap oh thank you Irene did you slam the door in somebody's face <laughs> no because Jane Goldsmith came to see me <laughs> right um, I always believed in God but I never knew him But now what I've got to do, I'm going to wind the clock, I'm going to fast forward 10 years, um, and that's just to show you how patient and how long God worked in my life till I got to this point. And we'd moved from Marlowe and we moved to Tame. And um, both my boys then went to Lord Williams' school. And one day Carl came home and he said, Oh, Mum, they gave me this at school today. He said, but um, I won't read it, but I thought you might like to. And I stood there and I thought, he gave me the uh, New Testament. And what amazed me was, because he was a bit of a wild card, my oldest boy. And normally anything like that he didn't want to have, he would throw it in the bin. So while he'd bought it home, I was quite shocked. So I thought, I said, okay, thank you very much. And I went upstairs and I put it in the side of my bedroom drawer. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I might start reading that when I'm on my own, when I have some time on my own. So every time I went upstairs, I sat there and I started to read it. And the more I read it, the more depressed I got. And I thought, I'm not going to carry on reading. No, I've got to carry on reading this. So I carried on, and when I got to the end, I remember I stood up and I threw it on the bed. And I said, what's the point? This is hopeless. I've done everything in this book that I shouldn't have done. It's too late for me. Why didn't you tell me before? Why didn't you tell me before I went all down these wrong paths of where I shouldn't go? So I just left it at that. And a few months later, um, I'd got a medical problem. And I thought, you know what, I need to go and see the doctor. No, I don't. It's it's just minor. I'm not going to bother. Anyway, this wouldn't leave me. And I've got no peace. And I thought, I've got to go and see a doctor. So I went to see the doctor. And uh, she said to me, I need you to go, and you, this wouldn't happen today, this has happened years ago, but she said to me, I need you to go to the JR right away. I need you to go and see someone and have a checkup. So off I went to the uh, JR, and uh, he said, it's not far off Christmas now, he said, so as soon as Christmas is over, we're going to have you in hospital straight away. You need to have a big operation. And it was big. I was under the JR for 25 years after I'd had my operation, uh, you know, a uh, regular basis. So a friend of mine who lived in Ireland, she rang me up and she said to me, could I, uh, her and her husband, they're a very good friend of us, could we come and stay with you for Christmas? And I thought, thank you, because I really need someone to come to help and talk to me and to be there with me. And I've got two young boys that I've cared so much about. So she came and then we sat talking and I said to her, would you do something for me? She said, well, I said, would you come to church for me? She said, well, where are we going to go? Do you know where to go? I said, well, actually, I've made friends with a girl called Debbie Woods that lives around the corner, and she goes to Long Crendon. You know, perhaps we could go there. And she said, yes, we would go there. And that was really hard for me because my husband is absolutely anti. So this is why I have to do this and read the Bible and that when he's not around. So she decided, we, yes, we came along. So we came in, and Jeff was preaching and uh, we sat there, and I can't remember much about what he said, but one thing that he said was, during the sermon was, he said, you know, there may be someone that's going to go into a hospital and have this operation, and you need not fear. And I can remember we both stopped, and we just both looked at each other, and from there on, I couldn't tell you about the sermon anymore. All I knew, that there was a God, 
and that he knew what I was going to be going through. So we came, we did, we did come again, and as soon as Christmas was over, they went back to Ireland, and I went into hospital to have this operation, and I was in hospital for more than uh, 10 days or so, and I was really very poorly after it. Uh, I don't deal with operations very well. And um, I came, came back home, and as soon as I was well again, I just wanted to come back. So I started to come back in the mornings, and I started to come back in the evenings as well. And then I began to see that, you know, I love being in God's house. And I started to hear him talking to me. And do you know what? There was the answer that Jesus had died for my sins. It doesn't matter what I'd been and what I'd done, there was hope for me. And I was so excited. And um, so I went to Jeff and I said, Jeff, do you know something? I said, I just want you to baptise me. I, I, I just want you to straight away, as soon as possible, you've got to baptise me. And he said to me, well, it's nearly Easter time. Why don't you get baptised on Easter Sunday? I said, that would be absolutely amazing. Sadly, my husband didn't come, but my youngest boy, he actually came and I was baptised. And that was over 40 years ago. And you know what? One day, Jesus is going to present me faultless with exceeding great joy. Thank you very much. Um, what struck me there was, you know, uh, and this is the theme for tonight, it's God who says, isn't it? You know, we just have to be faithful and proclaim the gospel, don't we? You know, the first story was about somebody who was rejected when they knocked on the door. There would have been temptation not to come back, but it was God's spirit that was prompting a response, wasn't it? And it was maybe an invite to a church, in Irene's case, and it was God's Spirit speaking, and Jesus speaking as the Word is preached. Um, I've, I've got a little story, and then we'll, we'll um, lead into this next block, where we think about Christ's power at work, not us at work. Um, a few years ago, my best friend, Rob, was diagnosed uh, with terminal brain cancer. And of course that injected an urgency to want to, because he was unsaved, there was an urgency to share the gospel with him. I loved him. He'd been my friend for 30 years. And it's good, isn't it, for all of us to have an urgency to share the gospel with people that we love. Um, that cancer diagnosis actually put that urgency right in front of us. So we all ought to be praying with urgency for those that we love. And that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to spend some time praying for people who are the soul-type characters, the ones that we maybe have given up on. Um, but there was a negative side, and God spoke to me through this, that in that two years of his dying, I was desperate. So I shared the gospel with him, and uh, we were in church, and I was just always speaking to him, and one day he just said, back off. And I had to. And I, was, I had such a weight on my shoulders of the burden of his lack of belief. And I was at Spring Harvest and we were singing and worshipping. And I just felt God say, Simon, you're trying to do my job. Because all, all we're called to do is proclaim, isn't it? That's what we're called to do is proclaim. But actually, it's between God and the person that we're praying for. So God, Rob's salvation wasn't my burden or responsibility. I was just there to share the love of Jesus with him. And so I learned a big lesson in that. And actually, uh, a weight lifted off my shoulders when I realised... Yes, let's proclaim the gospel. Yes, let's pray for people. But then just trust, because it's God's job, isn't it? It's not our job to convert people. Uh, and that, I think, helps us in the proclamation. So uh, I'm telling that story just so that as we go into this next block of worship, uh, we're going to sing, Yet, but not I, but Christ 
in me. We, that's what we should be praying for, isn't it? God's power, God's love, God's wisdom, God's words, God's boldness. And so that he gives us opportunities to share, and when those opportunities come up, then it's his words and his love. So that's what, uh, that's what we're going to sing for now. Uh, so let's stand. Uh, before we then pray in groups, and we're just going to get into little groups, and just name names, name people in our lives that we want to pray for, who are not yet saved. So should we stand? Right. Just remind ourselves, we want to be filled with, with Jesus, don't we? Yet not I but Christ in me. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we can now meet and pray for those that we love. And we can trust that it's not us striving to bring change in their lives, but it's your power at work in us. So I just pray that uh, as we sit in little groups now, that you will uh, prompt us to pray for particular people, uh, whether it's our husbands or wives, Parents, sisters, brothers, or other people that we work with, or our neighbours, whoever it is, Lord, may you just prompt us to pray and to trust that you are working in power through us and that you can, like you did with Saul, uh, make a massive difference. And so we trust you in that as we lift our prayers to you tonight. Amen. Keep praying for these people and make that your last prayer and then get together and keep praying for people that uh, sing Restore, O Lord, considering salvation for our country. Yes, Lord, thank you that your kingdom will outlast the years. Thank you that you're reigning. And we do pray as we go out into this week that you would ordain those times that we can speak to people of your life. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. Well, I hope this evening's been a great encouragement to you um, and that you will go out from here continuing to pray for, for God's glory to be done in transformed lives and that you would be instruments of his, his mercy and power. Um, a verse to, to finish with, just to remind us of who it is and whose strength we, we go from here. Ephesians 3 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is a work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.